Welcome to Cancer Out Loud, the cancer care podcast, a show featuring conversations with people living with cancer, caregivers, survivors, loved ones, and the bereaved. Cancer Out Loud illuminates topics like self-advocacy in the face of barriers to care, end-of-life arrangements, meaning-making, and how personal relationships are impacted by cancer. This podcast is produced by Cancer Care, the leading national organization providing free professional support services to anyone affected by cancer. My name is Allison Urardi. I am an oncology social worker at Cancer Care. I'm really excited to have this conversation with you. And where we like to start is really just by, you know, getting to know a little bit about you. Okay, sure. My name is Saina. I'm 41 years old. I work in finance, currently working from home. (laughs) Okay. Like most most people. And what was your first interaction with cancer care? How did you get connected with us? I was initially diagnosed with um, breast cancer back in 2015. And I got connected with cancer care almost right away because my mom has been volunteering with cancer care for years. Thank God she was never really, you know, she was never touched by cancer, but she loved the organization. She loved the mission and she was very close with um, Carolyn. And she put me in touch with her right after my diagnosis. Um, And she got me set up to Mm -hmm. have a one-on-one counseling session. Then shortly Mm -hmm. after, I joined the young adult in treatment group and the post-treatment group as well. Yeah, that's that's so amazing that, you know, you were able to get connected in that way and that your mom had been you know, volunteering with us and was able to get you connected so quickly. And what was, I mean, so take me back to 2015, um, when you were first diagnosed, you know, what was that like? What was the experience like? So in 2015, um, the last thing on my mind was cancer, even Mm -hmm. um, after I felt the lump on my right breast, it just looked very odd. Um, I was, I'm, You know, my chest was fairly small. I was an A cup. So the lump was fairly easy for me to see. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just kind of chucked it as, hey, this is, you know, some sort of cyst. And Uh I still wanted it checked out because it just didn't look good. Um, Mm -hmm. So I made an appointment with my GYN. Um, He took a look at it um, and sent me for a mammogram and a sonogram. Right afterwards, they, you know, set me up for a biopsy. Months have passed. And in those short few months, you know, you can tell the lump has gotten a lot bigger. Um, And I still wasn't very alarmed. I still thought it was, you know, like a cyst. And in October, a week after my 37th birthday, that's when I got the news that, hey, this is this is breast cancer. So it sounds like from that self-exam, that first moment of noticing there was some type of lump to October 2015, that was a good several months. Exactly. 
okay. you know, by the time you get, you know, each appointment going, you know, months had passed by. And again, you can see it growing. Exactly. And like you said, just even the be, you know, just a few moments ago, that cancer was still like the last thing on your mind. So when October 2015 comes and you, you get this diagnosis, I mean, what's, what's the initial reaction since you spent the last, you know, four or so months really thinking, not being alarmed, not really thinking anything of it? It was still very hard to believe. It's the best I can explain is like the twilight zone. Like mm-hmm. everything is moving so fast. Mm-hmm. You're like, you know, it's really hard to believe, mm-hmm. you know, because, you know, at that time, I really didn't know anyone with cancer. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you know, I definitely didn't know anyone with cancer that was around my age. Right. Um, so it was just very hard to grasp. And, you know, you're thinking like, hey, like, what does this really mean, you know, exactly? And, you know, so it was just a tough few weeks. Um, So, you know, you're seeing, it's like appointment after appointment after appointment, Mm -hmm. and you're getting all this information thrown at you, and you're really making life-changing decisions, Mm -hmm. you know. Yeah, and I have a couple of thoughts of kind of what you were just sharing, and I guess where I'll start is so you know you had those that handful of months where things were moving you know a bit more slowly you know getting um getting the going to your gyn getting the mammogram um you know getting the biopsy you know over a span of a couple of months and then once you you know you get that phone call now time has sped up more appointments sounds like everything was happening quite quickly once you got the diagnosis i was actually lucky enough to have my results given to me face to face i actually had an appointment with my gyn again so he was actually the one that gave me the news and I he see. was he was just as shocked because yeah. you know I think he was just really trying to make sure we got everything checked out but you know I I don't think he expected it to be breast cancer either you kind of reflect on everything that happened after because at the moment everything is like I said moving like so fast like mm-hmm. like I think back at the time where I was, you know, getting my sonogram towards the end of summer and, you know, the nurse is so friendly, so chatty, and we're talking about what we have done during the summer and we're going back and forth. And as chatty as she was, there was a moment where she just went completely silent. And you would think, you know, at that time, I'll be like, you know, alarmed, but I actually really wasn't, you know, I just was just like, okay, you know, she's focusing on her work. But like, looking back at it, she knew exactly what she was looking at. Yeah, she knew what she was looking at at that moment. And were there strategies, skills, you know, anything that you were doing that helped slow things down? And what I mean by that is not only not only connecting with cancer care, and I definitely want to talk, you know, about that experience as well, but even just taking notes at doctor's appointments or recording doctor's appointments so that way you can go back and listen. Um, Were there any, you know, skills or strategies that you used um, to try to take in, you know, all of this new information that you were having to learn kind of as you go? Well, initially, it kind of took me a while to figure out what worked for me. So my first few appointments, 
you know, you're just kind of sitting there and you're getting all this information thrown at you. So right after diagnosis, I met up with my team of doctors and we agreed to have surgery first and I chose a double mastectomy. After my double mastectomy, I was told I would need chemo. Mm -hmm. um, and after chemo, we would have radiation. Initially, you know, you're bombarded with so much information, but I learned to start taking notes. So I, what I did was I used my phone and the notes section on my phone. I write down every question I would have for my doctor, because what I initially noticed is I would leave my appointment and say, oh my gosh, I should have asked this or I should have asked that. So what, what I would do is I would write down all of the questions in my notes section on my phone. So I would have it very handy. Um, and in my next appointment, not only would I read off all the questions that I have, but follow-up questions will also, you know, come to me. And um, I would also write down the most important answers, topics that my doctor and I spoke about. Mm -hmm. I think that's so important, you know, that you mentioned that, that it, it takes some time, you know, it takes some time to really start to know what works for you. Because for some people, it's like, you know, like you said, taking notes, writing down your questions. For other people, it may be, you know, bringing somebody else with you to the appointment to, to take all of those notes so you can focus on listening. You know, you got to kind of take your time and figure out what works for you. Exactly. Like I said, you know, there are so certain patients who, you know, definitely need that support there. And mm -hmm. um, I definitely encourage that if that's the way they feel. For me, I knew right away that I like to do my appointments alone. Okay, okay. You know, I didn't like anyone else in the room with me. I was grateful okay. that, you know, family and friends offered. But mm -hmm. to me, they were distractions, if they have, mm. you know what I mean? And, yeah. you know, and I definitely have an emotional uh, family and okay. <laughs> it will probably be more emotional for them. And, you know, I'll okay. probably end up consoling them at some point. Um, yeah. So it's I like to just go in there, focus on my questions and my mm -hmm. concerns, write everything down. And yeah. honestly, cancer care played a big, big part in that as well, you know, because mm -hmm. as a cancer patient, you don't know, you know, like, hey, is this a, is this a, an appropriate question is because you'd really, you know, is this a, you know, a real concern that I should bring up? Mm -hmm. But being in the group setting at Cancer Cares Young Adult Session, hearing other patients talk about the same exact concern normalized what I was concerned about. So, yeah. you know, it, it encouraged me to bring it up during my appointment. So it, it definitely played like a big, big role in how I as a patient interacted with my medical team. Yeah, absolutely. And the relationship with your medical team, were you comfortable? Did you, you know, did you feel comfortable asking these questions? Was it an open relationship that you had with them? Because um, that's important, because sometimes I think you're right that not knowing what's, what are good questions to ask and how to be comfortable asking certain questions um, to doctors, because sometimes, you know, and I don't know if it was your experience, it's intimidating. I mean, it can be intimidating and you just kind of want to trust 
what they're saying. Um, so sometimes it could take, you know, a, a comfort level to ask those questions. So what was the relationship with your medical team like? I absolutely love my medical team. And it's such a shame that, you know, over the years I have uh, met and heard from other patients who Mm -hmm. had horror stories and, you know, not so nice stories about their medical team. But honestly, I was lucky enough to to have such a attentive medical team. I love, love my oncologist. And there is that trust factor too, because honestly, if you don't trust your medical team, if you have to second guess your medical team um, and your care, it really interferes, I believe, with you as a patient, you know, your, your success. So to me, it's very important to trust what they're telling you and it helps with the cooperation as well. Like, you know, mm-hmm. if you trust your medical team, you are going to follow exactly, you know, what they say versus like if you're second guessing them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I can, I can definitely, definitely hear that. And, you know, and along with talking about the medical team and how, cancer care and the, and the support group specifically normalized a lot of your concern and gave you that, you know, that motivation to ask certain questions in the appointments. What was, you know, can you tell me more about the group experience? Did you start with the group right away? Did you start an individual? So I got linked up with Sarah Paul. I okay. love her. <laughs> she So she, I met up with her at one-on-one initially before I, my surgery even. And I honestly really didn't know what to expect um, going in. You know, it was like my mom encouraged me to go. Mm-hmm. I probably should go to make sure everything is okay mentally, mm-hmm. emotionally. I went in not expecting much. And, you know, we just kind of sat there, looked at each other, you know, and she just gave me time to talk about me, talk about my yeah. situation and just hear me out. And that's how it started. And it was just me and her initially. And then she encouraged me to join the young adult group. And that was great. We were all in treatment. And no matter how terrible you felt, Mm -hmm. it was like the highlight of your day when Mm -hmm. it was that day, time to go, uh, go in, you know, you would, it was like, I would peel myself out of bed and make it there because it was just, you know, it was so fulfilling being there. Because you walk out of there, you know, feeling, you know, better, uplifted, you know, so. Absolutely. And also being a young adult with cancer is its own unique experience. How old were you when you were first diagnosed? Um, So I received the results of my diagnosis a week after my 37th birthday. I remember, okay. Yeah. What was having that support, that space like to be able to talk to people your age that, you know, are balancing, you know, treatment and work, treatment and, and family and friends and, you know, being a 37 year old living in New York City. I mean, I can only imagine that the young adult specific group just made you feel less, less alone in that experience. Absolutely. Because, you know, you hear other stories and initially it's just, you know, questions and concerns in your head and, you know, hearing it from someone else, you're just like, oh, okay. 
it's not just me. Someone else is concerned about this topic, you know? And it was just, you know, and, and it was, even though I was 37, I considered mm-hmm. myself lucky because, you know, initially when I got my diagnosis, I was like, oh, I'm pretty young. But no, I met, you know, patients who were much younger. It could be very challenging at that age, you know, like having cancer, any type of cancer, like, let's say 20 or 22 or 25. Mm-hmm. Um, very, very challenging because, you know, they were struggling. Imagine it interrupting your life, you know, yeah. it's it's interrupting your, you know, education. If you're in school, it's interrupting your career just when you're getting started. Yeah. You know, so it's, it's, it's challenging and it's, you know, it's, it's sad to hear, you know, I, I felt lucky that at least I was 37. I had a, I had time to build on my career a little bit. So just hearing everybody else's perspective, it was just mm-hmm. very, very interesting to, to hear. Yeah. And for you, you know, your, your experience, what was it like trying to balance everything in your personal life and, and also your professional life while going through treatment. Um, you said that you you chose to have the the double mastectomy, you went through chemo and you also did radiation. What was that like balancing everything? I mean, did you were you still working through treatment? Did you take off? How did you make those decisions? I was lucky enough to have the support of my firm and the support of my team. And I really, really mean that because the last thing you want to do after getting your cancer diagnosis is worry about your job. Mm -hmm. And initially, you know, that was me. I was so worried because up until then, I'd been at that company for five years, five and a half years, and never once have I called out sick. Okay. Up until the time I received my diagnosis. And I was scheduled for my surgery in November around Thanksgiving time. I want to say a few days before Thanksgiving. So what my company did was give me the rest of the year off. Okay. To, to um, recover. Yeah. And I actually thought I was going to go back to my quote unquote life right after Mm -hmm. surgery and then I chose to have the double mastectomy and boy let me tell you (laughs) it had to be the most painful experience of my entire life it took me a while to kind of really recover right after January 1st I was bored enough the weeks that I sat at home doing nothing that I said hey I want to go back to work Okay. So what, what I did was I take the, took the days off around my chemo treatment. I would have chemo on a Thursday. So that will take that Thursday, Friday off. I will have the weekend and sometimes I will take that Monday. So I would take, you know, four or five days to kind of recover and then go back to work. And then actually mm-hmm. I'll be fine for those, you know, two, three weeks and then repeat the same thing. And so I continued working you know, after January. Um, And after chemo, radiation was every day for six weeks. I would work my busy day and I would try to get the last appointment of the day. Mm -hmm. And no matter how busy work was, when the time came, I had to drop everything and run 
and get my radiation treatment. And, you know, it was tough because you're trying to help out your teammates but you also had this to take care of. So you kind of have to just play the balancing act. But again, you know, I had, you know, a wonderful boss at the time who he would keep track of the time and be like, just go, just go, just go, you know? So I, you know, recognize that not everybody has that and is very, very unfortunate. But, but yeah, and after finishing treatment, you know, as tough as it was, knowing that I had the support of my firm um, right. made things so much easier for me, just mentally and emotionally. And that's very, very important. No, absolutely. And and you're so right. Not everybody who is diagnosed with cancer, you know, has the support of the employer and the, the, the support of your, you know, your job and your boss, you know, it, it, it minimized the possible stress that and the anxiety that that could have caused. I can only imagine, you know, how helpful that was to know that you just, you had the support of them. Do you have any advice for people who might be listening who are needing to, you know, start to talk with their, their employers or their bosses or HR about upcoming treatment and, you know, any, any advice or, you know, thoughts to share? Be honest about what you're facing. Um, and know your rights. Find your resources. They're definitely out there. So, you know, again, like just know your rights before you go in there and, and be completely honest. Because honestly, cancer patients are some of the hardest working people I know because they want to prove themselves, you know. And I felt that way at some point as well. Even though I had the support of my employers, I constantly wanted to prove myself that, hey, I can still, you know, do this and I can still work, you know. And it's, you know, heartbreaking to hear some stories of, you know, some young adults whose careers got derailed because of their diagnosis and, you know, it affects you and not just immediately, but, you know, depending on how long you're out for, it could really impact, you know, your career in the, you know, for the rest of your life, possibly, you know, so... It's just it's heartbreaking sometimes to to, yeah. to 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 hear. And aside from your, you know, having the support of your employer, your bosses, coworkers, um, and also of course the support from your medical team, because I know that they they have been wonderful with you as well. Who you know who else is is in your circle? Um, you know, from diagnosis back in 2015, you know, up until now, who comes to mind? My family and definitely my my. <laughs> you know, my close friends. So back in 2015, you know, Mm -hmm. I live alone, um, but my mom lives in East Harlem. So she's close by. So when I had my surgery in November of 2015, I actually went home to her. So she took care of me in, you know, November, December. (laughs) It was just exactly what I needed at that time. Mm -hmm. You know, I couldn't care for myself. Um, so, so she was there and she was there, you know, during my chemo treatments, you know, even though I don't like anyone being there when I'm, you know, in, you know, during my, uh, appointments with my doctors doing chemo session, you're there sitting there for hours. So I was lucky enough to have my mom there keeping me company for that. So, you know, she still cooks a lot of my meals, you know, Mm -hmm. and I, pack some and bring it back to my place. 
and I had a handful of really, really close girlfriends who have been, so I just leaned on them, you know, I didn't, you know, make any big announcements or not everybody knew. I wasn't really trying to hide anything, but to me, it was like, I just shared it with the people who, you know, it was only like the must know people that were around me. So, and my group of girlfriends, you know, were just there, you know, we all went out and they're like a girl's night right before my surgery. And even, you know, during treatment when I felt really, really terrible, the day that I felt good enough to go out, you know, we all went out to do. So it was like those little intimate mm-hmm. groups that made all the difference in the world during that time. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. And, you know, and I want to go back to um, a point that you made much earlier that a lot of people diagnosed with cancer experience. They share this, they share this news, they share, you know, what treatment they're going to be, you know, receiving. And then they sometimes wind up offering the emotional support <laughs> to absolutely. the people that they, that they just told. I want to hear your thoughts about that, because I think a lot of people who are diagnosed, you know, they wind up consoling their family and their friends. And that's sometimes it's like, do I want to share this now because I'm going through my own stuff and I'm now comforting you for how you're feeling about my own stuff. And it's it's tough. Absolutely. I mean, when I was diagnosed back in 2015, I was diagnosed with stage 2B cancer. And in January of 2019, I was diagnosed with metastatic breast cancer. So I had to break the news to family and friends twice. The first time around, sharing it was a complete shock. The good news was, hey, the cancer is local. After you do surgery, chemo, radiation, you're good to go. You're as good as before or whatever. They caught it on time, you know, you went through treatment, and then here you are. When I was experiencing the pain in 2018, I went in to see my doctors in December of 2019. And when they initially told me, hey, this is the possibility, it was tough to hear. I think even tougher than the first time around, only because... The first time around, I think, you know, you hear surgery and you hear chemo and you hear treatment, but you really don't know. That kind of protected me in a way because you're like, hey, you don't know. I'm just going to go in chemo, you know. Mm -hmm. But the second time around, you know what what treatment will be like, you know. And it was really tough to hear. And once they confirmed it, I just remember just feeling so exhausted. I was just so exhausted. I didn't want to share it at all with my family. My mom was the first person I told when I was diagnosing in 2015. And my mom was the last person I told in 2019. It was just really tough, really, really tough, because now the situation is a little different. So now everyone wants to know, so when are you going to finish up with treatment? And then you have to explain that, you know, this time around, you're, I'm not going to finish with treatment, you know, this right. here's to stay. And it was just, I just remember just, it was just really tough. And I remember, yeah. you know, sharing it 
family-wise, I told one of my older sisters first, and, you know, it was just like, okay, I have, you know, her, it was just tough because she was just more emotional, so she's crying, and it's just like, oh, my God, it's, mm-hmm. you know, like, what can you do, you know, this is the news. Yeah. So, so yeah, it's just, it was tough sharing it with, with family this, the second time around. It really was. What's what's the treatment plan currently? What are you doing now in terms of treatment? So I'm currently on oral chemo. Um, okay. And when I first got the news, it was more like, like, what on earth does this mean for me? Like, what does mm-hmm. it mean? Like, can I go back to work? Like, mm-hmm. like, what will my life be like? Like, what does this mean? You know? So mm-hmm. once I got over that initial shock, and mm-hmm. once I met with my medical team and they explained what the treatment plan would be, I felt more at ease because, you know, they started me on, on targeted, you know, therapy. You know, first I was, mm-hmm. I was very happy to hear that I'm not going to have traditional IV chemo initially, you know, mm-hmm. right away. Because to me, I thought chemo, you know, cancer is back. I'm going to have IV chemo again. <laughs> and to me, like, that's like dragging me through like the dirt and me like, clawing at everything I not to go back to IV chemo to me mm-hmm. that would be like the worst thing ever mm-hmm. um but they were like no no we're not gonna do IV chemo now we're gonna do targeted therapy for me at least is more than a few treatment options which is mm-hmm. good news for me because mm-hmm. it didn't always used to be that way um hormone positive and HER2 negative so okay. you know I have treatment options and over time, the treatment stop working and then you move on to the next one. And mm-hmm. you're just hoping to stay on each treatment as long as you can to kind of extend your right. life. And, you know, it may change down the line, but for now, I'm doing well. I'm managing it well. I have an appointment with my oncologist every month. So every month I go in, you know, I get my blood drawn. They, you know, check out the levels and, you know, then I start on my you know, next chemo cycle. Um, I also get, you know, like my, I head over to the infusion area after I see her, then I get my, you know, monthly shots. Mm-hmm. Um, and I get a PET scan every three months to okay. see, you know, where the cancer is, if it's, you know, mm-hmm. um, stable mm-hmm. or not. So, so yeah. Um, okay. So far, you know, I'm I'm doing well. You know, I feel good, um, good. and I honestly can't ask for any anything more than that right now. And aside from support groups, aside from family and friends, what else brings you, you know, comfort or solace during this time? You know, self care wise, you know, what you do for you. Honestly, like one thing cancer taught me was just kind of just. You know, before I used to hear, oh, live in the now. And uh-huh. you're just like, well, what is that? But like, right. I think I like, now I get it a little more, you know, like I don't sweat a lot of things. Like to me, mm-hmm. during this time, I have felt incredibly grateful, incredibly mm-hmm. grateful during this time. Because when March hit, you know, when everybody mm-hmm. had to, you know, quarantine, I was able to work from home. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I was incredibly grateful for that. You know, not, yeah. not everybody is able to work from home. So to me, I was safely able to, to work from home. 
I have my own four walls. I don't have to worry mm -hmm. about anyone else coming in and out and worrying about, you know, catching anything from anybody else. Mm -hmm. um, I'm able to pick up the phone or go online and order anything and everything that I need. And my doctors are, they're walking distance from me. Oh, wow. That's great. So, absolutely. So to me, I was like, I feel so incredibly grateful, you know, and yeah. I turn my TV on and I see, you know, people who have lost their jobs or people who have mm -hmm. to actually, you know, they couldn't shelter, you know, at home, they have to go out mm -hmm. and work, you know, so mm -hmm. it's, um, you know, you kind of have to look at what you do have. And yeah, and I just appreciate it so, so much. And honestly, I stay connected with friends. I stay connected mm -hmm. with family. I'm on FaceTime with them every single day. But what I do for me is I do what I feel like doing. That's how I look mm -hmm. at it. Like, yep. you know, before I used to feel a little guilty if I slept a little too late or mm -hmm. I had an extra piece of cake or something. Mm -hmm. right now I just don't care. <laughs> yeah. You know, if I'm tired, I go, I take a nap. You know, yeah. if I want to sleep in a little, I sleep in, you know, mm -hmm. if I feel like having an extra piece of cake, I have it. You know? yeah. And honestly, when I'm tired, I tell people I'm tired, you know, before mm -hmm. I used to feel so bad canceling on friends mm -hmm. or doing the, uh, you know, just showing up all the time, you know, and right mm -hmm. now it's just if I'm tired and I don't feel like doing it, I just let them know. And, yeah. you know, it's well received, honestly. And if I'm too tired to, you know, get on chat with everyone, I tell them, you know, and, mm -hmm. you know, I know not everyone is going out right now, but, you know, mm -hmm. even before when everyone was going out, if I felt too tired to go, I will let them know. Um, yeah. And before cancer, I think the guilt kind of just weighed on mm -hmm. me and I just mm -hmm. kind of like freed myself of that. Yeah, no, I, I love that, you know, just doing, doing what you need to do for you, doing what you want to do, and, and, and not sweating the small things. I mean, not sweating it if you, you slept an hour or two later than you anticipated, um, you know, just being, you know, being, you know, cutting yourself some slack almost, you know, not, not sweating the small things. And it also sounds like gratitude has been really important and big in your life as you're continuing to cope with, you know, treatment and, and cancer and, and what that, what that brings into your life. What advice would you give somebody who is either, you know, diagnosed for the first time or, you know, diagnosed with a metastatic recurrence, what do you wish you knew? Well, to the newly diagnosed and not so newly diagnosed, connect with other cancer patients mm -hmm. if you haven't already done so. I thought it was incredibly helpful. It really was. Your medical team, yes, they're great and absolutely mm -hmm. listen to them, but they probably never experienced chemo themselves. So connect with other cancer patients and compare notes. It could be incredibly hopeful to, to do that. And you get to learn a lot. Um, yeah. So, and don't focus too much on death. I know mm -hmm. what a metastatic diagnosis death comes to mind, but I wouldn't focus too much on death. 
because you will honestly be surprised how many people you will outlive. <laughs> yeah. So don't don't focus too much on that. Just focus yeah. on what you have now, the possibilities, you know, all the research that's out there, all the new treatments that are coming out. I'm grateful for all the women and men who, you know, went through breast cancer before me, who did all the trials, who, yeah. you know, and so that people like myself can live a little longer now, you know, they did all the trials and, and here I am today. You don't, you don't have to do this alone. There are resources. There absolutely. are people out there to connect with. Uh, absolutely. You absolutely don't have to do it alone and get, you know, different circles of, of friends, you yeah. know, because to me, I love talking to my family, mm-hmm. um, but separately, I love talking to my girlfriends, you know what I mean? But yeah. then I love talking to my cancer family as well. You know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. it's a little different. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Things I talk about with my cancer family is different than, you know, my my own family and my own friends, mm-hmm. because as much as they love you and as much as they want to help you, there are certain things that they, you know, you just kind of have to experience to kind of know. So I think I, I get a lot from connecting, you know, with my cancer family as well. And, and, you know, Insina, those are all of my questions. And I want to know if there's anything else that you want to share with us before we wrap up today. I mean, anything that, you know, you feel like you didn't get to touch on or anything else that you you want to share with us and, and, and the people listening? I just uh, want to thank my medical team. I just realized yeah. how incredibly, incredibly lucky I am to be able to have great care. And for the people who feel like they're not getting the level of care that they want or need, look into fixing that. From the time I had surgeries to today, all the nurses, I definitely don't know all their names and mm-hmm. some of them, you know, I didn't even see their face. I, I only heard mm-hmm. their voice, you know, me waking up from surgery yeah. and they all take care of me. And, you know, yeah. I just want to say thank you to all of them. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm really happy you said that because you're right. And that if you feel, if anyone feels like they're not getting the care that they deserve, that they're comfortable with to do anything that you can to change that, whether that's, you know, sharing those concerns with the present medical team, seeking a second opinion, you know, connecting with a patient navigator or a social worker to help advocate, whatever that may look like, that is so important. Because like you touched on earlier, having that trust and comfort with the medical team is so important to to your health and to your care. So I'm, I'm really glad that you, you know, you, you mentioned that. And Sena, I, I can't say thank you enough for joining us and and talking with me this evening it was so wonderful getting to speak with you and and hearing about your experience and what you've learned i just i can't thank you enough oh thank you very much Allison. it was definitely a pleasure absolutely yes. a pleasure. thank you so very much you too. take care okay, bye-bye Thanks for listening to Cancer Out Loud, the Cancer Care Podcast. Cancer Care is the leading national nonprofit organization providing free professional support services, including case management, counseling, support groups, educational resources, and financial assistance to anyone affected by cancer. 
you can visit us online at cancercare.org or call our toll-free Hope Line at 800-813-HOPE. That's 800-813-4673 to speak with a Master's Prepared Oncology Social Worker.